Welcome to Bruin Source. This is Ed. This is Kevin. And we come to you today uh, after the entire world of college athletics has been completely turned upside down. I don't know where anybody is. I don't know what leagues exist at this point. And uh, I don't know who we're playing anymore, except for I know we're in the Big Ten at this point. So that's 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 kind of where I sit, sit Kevin. I, you've been following this closely. What's what's going on here? Why don't you help help me and help some other folks understand what the hell just happened? Okay, there's a lot of ways we can do this because like so much <laughs> stuff has been written and discussed and talked about. Can right? we start with one one thing though? What can we start start with? Fuck Larry Scott. I'll start with that. Okay, the, great, great point. So, Zed, let's, we're going to do an exercise, all right? Um, we are going to go back to the start of Larry Scott's tenure, and I'm going to just list out, I'm not going to do this for forever, right? But, like, I'm going to narrate a couple of key things as they happened, and we're going to talk through them, because today we talk about this entire thing as if it was just a sheer and utter gross incompetence of leadership and i think what we'll find with going through this is that it was a sheer and utter gross incompetent leadership that got us here um so i'm going to take us back we're going to turn back the pac-12 time machine right now to the pac-10 for a second um and larry scott had a lot of power over the school presidents in the pac-12 um, he grew a lot of cachet, and it's important to understand why he got that. So if we go back to 2011, uh, when Larry Scott first came in and he starts to negotiate the TV deal, it's important to recognize the Pac-10 uh, before that actually had a worse TV deal than like anything we could imagine today. Um, $60 million. Each school got $6 million. This was before the explosion of TV money, so I guess we'll give it a pass for that. But, like, do you remember the channels, like, Prime Ticket and stuff like that? Oh, yeah. Remember when we went to, came to school and, like, our games were on Prime Ticket? Um, yeah, it was the Fox, like, regional affiliates that were showing up. Yeah, Fox Sportsnet and stuff. And that's the shit that the Pac-10 was on back then. So Larry Scott comes in, and he promises a bunch of grand things and and as we go through this i think we got to set like just one axiom one postulate which is that school presidents if they could just not help themselves they would just rather that the shit didn't change and someone just took care of it all for them they would rather their athletic directors and all that just do the stuff for them some commissioner does the stuff they don't want to be dealing i think and for the most part with intercollegiate athletics so Larry no. Scott comes in, and 2012, the famous dalliance with you know Texas and Oklahoma, and he starts making these grand promises of we can grow this league into something that's just really special. Um, Do you remember at that time the uh, private plane tracker for Larry Scott? Of course, going to, uh, well, there's the famous story also of Delos Dodds, the Texas guy. Um, like, so there's a, the tracker of Larry Scott going there, but there's also like the famous story at the end where Delos Dodds then comes to Larry Scott's like Malibu beach house, as they say. Um, and like, basically I mean, there's no good way to say this. He tries to just, he tries to swing his dick at the Pac-12 basically, right? 
um, basically saying I'll come, um, but I want some Longhorn network. I want a higher revenue share. And if you do all these things, then I'm ready to come. And Oklahoma's ready to come with me. And so are a couple other Big 12 schools like Texas Tech and Oklahoma State. And we will form the Pac-16. And that was like ready to happen, if you remember. I do remember. And looking back at it, that was a pivotal moment that we, uh, not by we, I mean the Pac-10, 12, whatever it was at that juncture, really shit the bed on. Because... Texas essentially at that time was a massive brand, right? Like you're thinking Texas football is coming off the Mac Brown years. Texas basketball is a year or two removed from uh, Kevin Durant, yeah. Rick Barnes. Like they're sitting at the top of their of the world at this point uh, from a branding and and success perspective. And they probably warranted that kind of attention and money, right? Um, and an unequal share of you know revenues based on brands and based on kind of how much value you as a as a school bring to the table. Now looking back at it, it's not a crazy thing to think about. So, so looking back on where we are in present day, that would have been a deal, right? Like, please, Texas, bring on the Pac sixteen, and this probably never happens. But it didn't happen, um, and you know Larry Scott at the time has grand visions for a network that will be conference only, um, and so doesn't want to base the legend is he balked at that by the way. Yeah, that that like the idea that the lowest odds you mean right? Yes. Yeah, thought that would it would never work, and besides wanted to like basically the same thing for himself, um, and so that the whole thing it doesn't work out and. I'll say this. Um, at the time, this whole concept of like crazy TV negotiating and all that, like no school had ever had their own proprietary network. So if you really want to give the benefit of the doubt to Larry Scott at the time, I think maybe you could just because like at the, at the time it was just a crazy idea. No one had done something like that. Um but, Nobody also had their own network at the time, either from a conference perspective. So, so. let's get there. Let's get there. So <laughs> what he does do is add Utah and Colorado to officially make it the Pac-12. Weird fits. Weird fits, um, but, you know, uh, add some new TV markets, so on and so forth. And what he's able to do in 2012, essentially, is off the heels of some very successful football, right? Because... This is also really important to, to understand. Um, the Pac-10, Pac-12, today we talk of it as, you know, hey, the West Coast fans don't care about uh, football and it's, it's just never been a strong league. That's just, that's, it's, it's complete horseshit because at that time, um, 2011, the league, you had three teams finish in the top six, right? You had our famous 50 to nothing game where and then SC finishes at number six, Oregon and Stanford finish in the top five. Um, and 2012, kind of a similar story there. We have a lot of ranked teams, uh, you know, between Oregon, Stanford, Arizona State, um, UCLA. You know, we finally, with the Jim Moore era, start coming alive. And the league is in really strong shape. And on the back of that, Larry Scott is able to close the richest deal in the history of collegiate athletics in terms of a TV, TV deal. Um, and this is really important because when you think of this in the context of what the Pac-10 was before it with on prime ticket and weird shit like that. Um, 
this kind of makes Larry Scott a god right now amongst the university presidents who have never really seen this before. It's it was groundbreaking. I'll I'll give him that right, but I think with that came some some uh, delusions of grandeur about what the Pac twelve network would and should become, um, and what obviously happened in reality. Yeah, and this is where so now we get to you know the great idea for the Pac twelve network. Um, the Big Ten had started something similar. So so the Big Ten was actually the first one to go out with a Big Ten network. But they partnered with Fox to get it done. And this, I think, is pretty important because even in doing that, the Big Ten Network had their own struggles in getting distribution in broad you know, TV um, rights and such. And just getting the Big Ten Network in distribution. The Pac-12 Network goes beyond that. It's not just Pac-12 Network. It's six different networks for each region. And... That it's not like that. Those each of those networks have to has to have something on the entire time. So you have stuff that you know people have never really cared to watch before, right? Um, every single sport of every single thing for that particular region replays of those things. So like replays of like men's volleyball on Pac-12 Network Oregon, and the way that they structure this up is that if you're a TV provider. You can't just get Pac-12 Network, which is like the main channel. You must get all seven or six channels at once. Um, and this kind of that's kind of like the first shit decision that kind of starts this whole thing down the road. Because what ends up happening is you do that with one cable network, and then the next one comes and says, I only want Pac-12 Network. And you're not able to say, well, I'll just give you Pac-12 Network because I just told the other cable network I can't do that. I gave them all six channels. And this kind of starts this string of, of, of errors right then and there. Well, that and, and the fact that they could not get a deal done with DirecTV, which cuts out like half of your customer base at that time. So DirecTV is a famous thing, um, obviously. But, you know, the first few years, you know, again, the, the Pac-12 was in really solid football shape um, up until 2014 or so. Um, I would say at the time, um, and, and again, we're about to join the Big Ten. I remember back then, you know, af- from about 2007 to 2014 until until really Ohio State won the championship. Um, you know, each conference goes through this cycle where, like, that you know, you're on your down cycle. And the Big Ten in that period was considered the slow conference. It was considered the the conference that just has one good team with Ohio State, and they would just kind of go and get their face planted in every time they played, like, any half-decent team. Um, you know, the Big Ten, more often than not, lost every game they played against a quality Pac-10 opponent or an SEC opponent. So at that time... I would say the Pac-12 um, is probably like the, the second best conference in the league. Definitely in 2013. and 2014, I would say it's arguable too. It's just that Ohio State won the championship. But this gets lost. I mean, we had some pretty good teams in that period. Right. And then I think you kind of see that flip, right, in the years following. And the Pac-12 starts falling off. You see a lot of those kind of middle of the pack uh, Big Ten schools start – um, 
start to ascend a little bit, right? You had Wisconsin in there doing well for a while. You had Michigan State in there doing well for a while. Penn State stepped up, you know, post-scandal, um, you know, up to, up until a few years ago, up a couple of years ago when gotten to a Rose Bowl. Like, you had all these teams starting to step up, play good football, you know, put their pro- programs back on the map to some degree, Meanwhile, the Pac-12 was kind of doing the complete opposite where, you know, UCLA, obviously we've talked about this at, at length at this point, you know, started falling off in the, the late Jim Mora years. Like Oregon and Stanford, you know, Oregon had some decent years in there, but, you know, post-Mariota, they've been struggling a lot more than, than they had before that. Stanford, I mean... David Shaw had them rolling for a little bit, but, you know, the the wheels have fallen off at this point for Stanford. So you had these these schools that historically were good. You had you had UW in there for a couple of years, but again, they've been up and down and pretty volatile. The Pac-12 kind of did the complete opposite and fell apart while the Big Ten, you know, improved their game and kind of stepped up as a as a conference as a whole, I would say. Yeah, and I I think like about 2015 or so, this is when like reality should have started to set in for the Pac-12 because they, they got that big TV deal. They got the richest deal in the history of collegiate athletics, but it was obviously, you know, these things happen in cycles, right? So the, the Big Ten wasn't up for negotiation yet. The SEC just wasn't up for negotiation yet. And in 2015, if you looked at just the financial numbers and where they were trending, um, you know, it was clear that at this point that the Pac-12 networks, it wasn't working. Um, they still had not gotten a deal with DirecTV. There was a lot of operating costs that went with it because again, you have six networks. You got to fill that stuff with TV, right? Um, and and to their, there, there were some things there, right? Uh, where they were able to um, just straight IP television across like campuses so that you didn't have to have studios on campus. There was some neat stuff that they did with all that. But more or less, you need that. There's a cost to running six channels, a lot of live recordings, such that go with that. Their studios are in downtown San Francisco, um, in the heart of the financial district. So that that costs a ton of money. They do you know how much that cost? Do you have a number? I, I was just reading about this. It cost nearly seven hundred thousand dollars a month. It was six hundred ninety-six k per month on rent. Jesus. So, and, and this is where you start hearing, because like people say this stuff, and now that you give the number, it makes sense, that by the time they were done with their offices in downtown San Francisco, they could have just bought a place in downtown San Francisco. And yeah, that number just about does it. But it, I mean, this, is, this becomes a problem, right? Because like these schools were all given these grand projections by Larry Scott of like, this is how much money this is going to bring us. And right now they're not even like, they're, they're not meeting anywhere close to those projections or at the very low end of it. But still in 2015, there's some hope that, you know, because of an AT&T takeover of direct TV or something, it's like something's crazy is about to happen over here. Um, that maybe they can get on direct TV in the next, you know, 12 to 18 months. And that finally is like, the albatross that has to get you know taken off of of this um but it has to happen fast because what's what's very quickly about to happen is the big Ten's about to renege the sec is about to renege and 
your revenues are very quickly about to fall far behind. Um, you know, very far. Like at, by this point, it already was uh, behind, but by 2018, like it, the, the projections were about to flip really quickly. And I mean, <laughs> they, they not only did they flip, it was the Pac-12 schools were getting grossly underpaid by the time UCLA and USC made this move. It was, it's absurd to think about when you look at some of those, those number comparisons, you know, even up until a year or two ago of what the big 10 schools were making, even on their unequal splits, what the SEC schools were, were making. Um, and then what what you see the Pac-12 getting, right, from a per-school perspective. It was uh, frankly embarrassing. And, and you could see it, right, on the field, on the court. Like those – those that dollar amount was, I think, having a, a tangible effect on performance when you don't have the – the schools don't have the, the resources to keep up from a facility or recruiting or all these things that cost a lot of money. Perspectives – they were falling behind. I mean, it was it was becoming clear that something needed to happen. Um, and uh, what was it? 2021? 2020? Our boy, uh, our boy Larry finally finally gets the gets kicked out, essentially, by the 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 school presidents. Well, I think. That, uh, yes. And in, in 2019, I think is if that's right. Um, ESPN comes to the table here and they basically say your Pac-12 network is not working. Um you you're 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 in over your skis. Um you're not it's it's an albatross right now for your league. It's barely making you any money. Um let us help you take it over and give us some like a 50% share just like Fox has with the Big 10 network. And I think if you do that at that time, you may not alienate these cable networks or these tv providers in the way that you did um which really i think came back to bite them and it when finally like tv negotiations came around the fact that they essentially turned them away at every turn um you know i think eventually kind of came back to bite them on this stuff well yeah i think there was a little bit of arrogance on scott's part right to keep trying to make his baby work like there was no willingness to um, go back and say, "Hey, this isn't working." There's there was a lot of sunk cost fallacy here. I think of keep, keep let's keep pouring money and maybe it'll work. It clearly was not working. It, the distribution was terrible. No one no one could actually get the damn thing. I mean, I I personally have jumped through hoops to be able to access it, and I think that's a very common story for. A lot of Pac-12 fans. I live in Los Angeles. It's the second biggest metro in the country, and I has still had limited access to how I could get this damn network, which is insane to think about. Um, and so, it's it 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 only made sense, and it felt like an inevitability at this at that point. I think that somebody was going to either demand change and actually have leadership and have this conference get their act together and try to strike a better deal or leave like i think it was it was really two options here at this point and they forced the they forced scott out i think at this point and hire george k 
Klyakov comes in, and I think we <laughs> we 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 know how the rest of this goes. So George Klyakov comes in. Um, I think this this is also important because George Klyakov comes in, but you also have some pretty big just presidential changes at some of these schools um, or athletic director changes, right? So at USC, a lot of leadership kind of gets shipped out with all their scandals there. Um, and eventually... Well, it's Mike, still a mess. It's still a mess, right? So Mike Bone kind of comes in. Um, at UCLA, Martin Jarman comes in. And I think this is really important because the people who ended up finally making these decisions had no ties to the previous Pac-12. There was no kind of... Um, nostalgic feeling to you know hey we have this thing that we want to keep uh going even the big 10 commissioner kevin warren was a guy who was like on a second year on the job also um like the previous big 10 commissioner jim delaney he never would have pulled this shit off because even the first round of like you know conference realignment he was always trying to protect the rose bowl and all that stuff so you got these people are changing too and Mike Bone very publicly uh, comes out and is saying we're not happy and all options are on the table and it's very clear that you know USC and UCLA from reports at this point have told the Pac-12 that they need an unequal share of the revenue because they're the LA market is the bread for the league and you know uh, because alums of pretty much every one of these schools live in LA uh, or they live somewhere in California uh, and so they are demanding that they get, you know, some unequal share of revenue to where they're not making as much as like the Oregon states and Washington states of the world. Um, and George Klyovkov, again, uh, this is one of those tough ones. Do you say that he, you know, he should have answered the call right away and, and done that? Or would that have created some kind of destabilizing effect? I think that's a that's a tough one. But that kind of starts the chain chain of events from that point on. Well, there's a chain of events, and I think even beyond this point, I think George Klyakov had opportunities to, you know, stop the bleeding and try to save this thing. I think there were there were there was time, right? There was this wasn't already completely fallen off the face of the planet at this point. I think there, he had the opportunities to say, okay, LA schools are unhappy. LA schools kind of drive the, the political machine around the PAC 12 and, and are the, the big needle movers here. How can we keep them happy and, and retain the PAC 12? They obviously LA schools had their demands, but at this point they hadn't said we're going to leave, right? They were giving the the conference and the new leadership an opportunity to say, okay, here's what we can offer. Here's how we can fix this. And I, I think George K obviously did not step up to that. I, I think there was, he was, uh, he obviously inherited a mess, right? Like, I think we can all agree on that. He completely 70- inherited a mess. Yes. And I think the other thing here is, People, I don't think, assumed that these crazy changes were going to happen again. I, 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 there, I just feel like 2011 happened, and then it's like, okay, well, you know, nothing that crazy is really ever going to happen again. And then and this whole thing comes around, and it's like, no, uh, COVID happened. Places are in debt, need to raise money. Like, this is a serious thing. Like, this environment, and this is probably where I have a little less sympathy for George Klyavkov, is like, the environment's very different just overall. 
to where you need to have like stability at this point for athletic departments is a very important thing. So I think that's those are all fair points. But I, I don't think that this was not going to ever happen. Even, you know, 2011, all the, whenever all that happened, all that the alignment happened then. I think that was still a foreshadowing and signaling of things to come with how TV money and how TV was, was consolidating, how those deals were, were coming about. The writing was on the wall at some point that this major realignment and shift would happen. Something was going to happen. Something was going to happen. And I think people have been talking about this formation of larger conferences and super conferences, whatever you want to call them for since 2011 for over a decade now right and i this is what i'll tell you i so this is a kind of a funny thing larry scott actually came and spoke to one of my classes when i was um back in in business school and even he huh i love this story well one he was yeah he took very long he was kind of an ass about it because someone did ask him about this. He did, took very little credit for any wrongdoing with the Pac-12 that happened. So clearly he, he doesn't care as much. Um, but he's a and Harvard guy. Post, like, uh, UCLA, USC leaving? or or No, this was right. This was in 2021. Yes. So before. Okay. Um, but the other thing he said, he said, look, the writing has been on the wall for a while around conference alignment. And I think eventually that this will uh, all shake out to where we'll have a few large conferences. And you can't tell me that he didn't know or think that during his tenure as the commissioner. I think the writing was on the wall then. I think it was on the wall when he had an opportunity to actually... Uh, drive that from a power of position by getting some of those uh, Big 12 schools at the time. And I think I think that that really, and we'll, we can jump into the mistakes George K made, but I think that whole position that he took the entire time he was the commissioner, starting from that one decision and the the inability for him to get those two schools who were already interested... Um, across the finish line due to whatever reasons, right? Balking at the Longhorn Network. I, you know, there was always the the Pac-12 hubris around, you know, uh, cultural fit. Oh, these schools aren't, aren't the right academic profile, blah, 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 research institution, et cetera, et cetera. All of those reasons, whatever weight they gave those factors, I don't know, but clearly they were factored in in some way. I think that was the the decision that really, again, domino affected this entire thing, regardless of the Pac-12 network mismanagement, regardless of all of these other things. I think the point is that this larger realignment was going to happen, and he took the wrong two schools <laughs> at so, the end of the day, and then refused to try to try to you know evolve beyond that. Yeah, definitely. Like there was. Another attack mode play he could have taken if he wanted to, um, probably around 2018, 2019. He could have revisited some of that expansion stuff if he really did believe that this is where the stuff was going. Like, I think that was on the table to do because the Big 12's deal was up. Um, and, and there was some stuff perhaps he could have done there. Um, 
But like, if we fast forward now, right? So USC and UCLA have left. So George K has decided he is not going to do the unequal media share. Okay, well, UCLA and USC say goodbye. Um, Stuart Mandel kind of wrote, wrote this piece in the Athletic about this, and there's some stuff about you know Larry Scott, but some of it's about George Klyovkov's tenure and how we got to this point. When USC and UCLA left, where things are today, I think, are literally what you would have predicted them to be the day after USC and UCLA left. You like if you just if you and me were just shooting the shit, we probably would have said like, oh well, Oregon, Washington, probably gonna go to the Big Ten, and you know Arizona and Arizona State, they're probably fits in the Big Twelve anyways, and Colorado was have been the Big Twelve once before. We basically would have said everything that has happened. So George Koyavkov. If, if we're saying this, he had to have known like this exact scenario is like the reality that's coming at me in like a year's time if I can't figure the shit out. And now I don't think I don't know if Stuart Mandel even like hit this point as hard as he should have. But I'm, I want to read something from from his article here where, you know, Brett Yormark is hired. Right. And so it says. You know, the first sign of trouble passed largely unnoticed, whereas then brand new Big 12 counterpart, Brett Yormark, brought in the big guns for media negotiations, uh, <laughs> WME Sports and IMG Media to work on the league's media strategy. Klyovkov hired a boutique firm, Sports Media Advisors, run by a guy named Doug Perlman. It just so happens that Klyovkov and Perlman were classmates at the University of Virginia Law School. The dude called his law school buddy to help him with the most important media negotiation in this conference's history, while Brett Yormark, like, brought the big boys in and, like, got shit done right away. And then they kind of, I think, showed him the reality of the situation. Like, this right there kind of sums all this up to me. Where, like, like, come on. Like, like our- George, George K is a Vegas guy, and he was literally rolling the dice on a lot of this. It's It's actually absurd when you think about it. And, and, like, the Apple TV deal that he got at the end, you could have gotten that deal in, like, October or September. Um, but they were too busy, like, wasting time talking about, like, oh, the UC regions might pull UCLA back and, like, writing letters and pleas to the UC regions to hold, like, Board of Regents meetings and, and all dumb stuff, that nonsense that happened with that whole thing. And if you, instead of focusing your energy there, like, focused on, like, oh, well, like, we have to secure stability now. So, like, the inevitability that everyone's talking about right now on their shows it, that is coming in a year, like, we got to make sure that doesn't happen. And instead, he's doing all this. And, and that is the part, like, I mean, Klyovka was dealt a really shitty hand. And probably this thing, even if he does that and, you know, you know, this thing sticks around for another couple of years, eventually this probably kind of falls apart. But what you can tell with what happened here through the negotiations is like no one wanted this to happen. And if you had presented some level of stability where like with some TV deal back in like September, October, November, even December, January, I think eventually like people would have been pissed off and they would be talking. But but eventually they would have have stayed for at least a couple of years or three or three, four years they would have stayed. but he waited till May and June where like people really didn't have an option at that point. I agree. And I think we missed one other big juncture of, of George K's tenure that I think he had an opportunity to take a little bit of an offensive. 
And instead, he sat back on his laurels in typical Pac-12 fashion and let let this all kind of fall apart. Uh, when Texas and Oklahoma decided to jump to the SEC, I think there was an opportunity. And again, this was another signal. This happened, what, two years ago now? Yeah, that was a while back. When when they sent, announced, hey, we're going to the SEC, that obviously set off another domino. Again, very, here's here's another very strong sign to you, George K. Now, after you know Larry Scott fumbled the ball once, now George K. You have an opportunity. Very large sign saying, conference realignment is on the horizon. Even if these two schools are the only ones kind of raising their hand now, like this is going to set off a seismic tremor throughout the uh, all of college athletics. What does George K do? Twiddle his thumbs. Twiddle his thumbs and go into this half-assed alliance thing with the Big Ten. We still don't know what that shit meant, right? Like, right now it means nothing because, like, the conference didn't exist. But, like, no one really ever knew what that thing was, right? It it was a very vague, kind of confusing partnership where the schools would play each other. But it was like this wishy-washy kind of agreement that really didn't hold much weight, right? There was no... You're not going to strike a TV deal based on this alliance. <laughs> you're not going to get your school's additional revenue. Or you're not going to be able to, you know, build a brand on this. It was this wishy-washy thing to the point where the Big Ten basically broke the alliance. Like, immediately, as soon as they had an opportunity. This, was an, this again, was a time when he could have looked at the, the writing on the wall and said, instead of put, entering this alliance, like... How can we, the big Pac-12, expand the Pac-12 with other schools that might be looking for a home or are willing to kind of break the mold and take a chance on and realize that this is on the horizon? Like, what what can we do here that that actually solidifies our position? Yeah, and I think the the important thing with all of this stuff is that everything we're saying, um, like all of it was necessary to get to this point. I think if he made one other turn in like just one area, right? So like if he had chosen to give an unequal share of some level or, or at least be open to negotiating with the LA schools, I think that was a point of that of where this could be saved. What you're saying right now, right? Where if when Oklahoma and, and, tech, and Texas go to the SEC, being in an attack mode and being in absorption mode there rather than signing a stupid alliance, like, that is a point that this could have changed. Even after USC and UCLA leave, um, to be a little bit more aggressive and just filling up your conference with other schools, like, the Big 12 just filled up every best other group of five school they could think of and and filled out a league to where they could go get a TV deal. Um, I think you could have done that. Uh, you could have done, even if you didn't do all those things, just gotten in in your exclusive window and just gotten an offer on the table that was if you did it at that time you probably got a little bit more money than you got at the end of this with apple tv and convince the, the presidents and such that this is the future and the right way to go i think if you'd done any of those things there would still be a pack something today and it took all of this to just blow it up overnight 
Right. The, the, how many opportunities do we just list off? That was at least three to f- three or four major opportunities to potentially save some semblance of the Pacific 10-12 conference. You, you fumbled the ball time and time and time again. It's, it's, it's actually just wild when you actually sit down and think about these opportunities that the conference actually had. And it's really wild when you think, because again, no one is talking about this, but the league was in a really healthy position if you just go 10 years ago, back in like 2012, 2013, 2014, like both from a football standpoint and just from a money standpoint, like at the time it was the richest league in the country because it was it had just renegotiated this huge TV deal and everything. And to get from that and then to just make one mistake after another, after another, after like to get from that position to here literally took every single thing that we talked about happening like right but but also like to your i think yes you're right they they were in a healthy position they had money they had a tv deal they you know they were sitting pretty but i think there that caused two things one was pure complacency um and two i think to some degree uh, and again hindsight's 2020 here but it was a little bit of a short-term thinking that got them in this position was they, they, I think they sat there and said, yeah, look, we got, we're sitting pretty for the foreseeable future, but they really kind of ignored the major forces at play here, AKA actual realignment that again, I think there were signals of larger realignment already coming, which would dictate much bigger TV deals and bigger money coming in. Like there, not to mention there was all sorts of other, you know, market dynamics at play here. You have cord cutting and, uh, you know, consolidation of these networks and all this other stuff. And I, I just, they did not take advantage of any of it. They tried to take advantage of the wrong things often. And it, it just, it clearly did not work. It's, it's, I, I laugh, but it is, it is sad to it's see really this because... disintegrate. It's sad because, you know, whatever we want to say, you know, we are going to go to the Big Ten and we'll all get over it in a few years. So, like, we're going to we're gonna enjoy whatever product that we get on the field because we are college football fans and that's just how this goes. But there is no base anymore for college football on the West Coast. The Big Ten's a thing in the Midwest. Um, their offices are all in the Midwest. Uh, you know, the SEC is down, out in the South. And... You know, the the Pac-12 was something that was unique to the West Coast that just it had its identity, um, and again, like it it gets a bad rep in terms of you know oh the fans don't no the fans do care, um, it's just it's not like what it is in the Midwest and the South where there's nothing else to do right it's just it's a different place, and we're losing that now and 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 we won't know what that means until it's actually gone, um, in 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 reality right I mean the constituents of schools like Washington State and Oregon State and all that now kind of get lost in this. Theoretically, because you're going to add more people elsewhere, but, I mean, you don't you don't know how valuable something is, it, it is until it's gone. And if, eventually, if you keep alienating, you know, regional fan bases like this, that, that also has a destabilizing effect overall on the sport. 
Yeah, I agree. And look, I, I'm happy with how UCLA acted in this whole situation. I, oh, yeah. I mean, Dan Guerrero would have never never have done this. No, right? And and I think from a, from a perspective of UCLA needs to survive, doing this as early as they did and ripping the Band-Aid off and, you know, they took the heat for it. They got blamed for certain things, et cetera, et cetera. Fine, whatever. I, I whatever. It doesn't matter. I, I think being proactive in the situation helped out a lot. Uh, otherwise, you would be in this the same position that Oregon and UW were in, right? Sitting there, you know, probably. I don't know if those numbers have been released yet, but they're going to probably be taking a smaller share of the pie, the Big Ten. Um, Obviously, schools like Arizona and Arizona State and Utah are, are going to take a smaller. Um, the numbers are all out, and so it's surprising. Uh, the Big 12 expansion of schools, so Arizona, Arizona State, Utah, Colorado, all got full shares, um, surprisingly. Uh, in the Big 10, Colorado, sorry, in Oregon and Washington get half shares with a $1 million increase year on year. And then finally, at the end of the CV deal, so in 2030, that's when they can apply for a full share. Right. Um, so, you know, they're, they've, they're going to have to play the long game here um, with respect to that. Right. And, and I think the, my point is when, when UCLA and, and SC both jumped, it made sense from a they, – they negotiated from a place of power, right, not a place of desperation at this point. Um that we see a lot of the, the remaining Pac-12 schools in. And so I, it, it made sense to do it when they did. It, it, that being said, I mean, I'm glad to some degree, I think that we get a couple of West Coast schools in. I'm still, I'm still a little, I don't know how, how to phrase it, but unsure, I guess, of if that having those two schools now is a good thing or a bad thing for us. Um, yeah, you and I talked about this last week, right? Like, it could be good because you do want... I, so, overall, there is there are competitive disadvantages for both USC and UCLA going to the Big Ten. Um, and, and this is just overall where I think we will have to see how this goes in the long term. Not in the first two to three years, but in the long term. Um, for the stability of just the overall league of the Big Ten. If UCLA and USC in particular in football, I think UCLA in basketball, um, if they're losing an extra, you know, two to four games or whatever the, you know, equivalent is uh, across the sports, because they have to travel, you know, 50% of their time into across multiple time zones, whereas the teams that they play only have to do it once. Right, it's a competitive disadvantage, and and again, uh, we're talking. I'm talking specifically about the competitive part, not you know. Oh my God, the students got to travel and they got to take their tests and all that. Like, no one gives a shit about that anymore, right? Like that, there a lot of these places or have ways to handle that part, but it is a competitive disadvantage, and so because of that, you do want some sort of West Coast pod where you know you have common opponents um, that are all you know just all in the same time zone you don't have like disadvantages that go above and beyond just like what's going to happen on the field against them but the problem there is we didn't get the cupcakes we got oregon and washington 
we did not get the cupcakes. I think we got, you know, two of the more difficult Pac-12 schools. I mean, they've been largely good in the past decade or so. Uh, at football, basketball is a different story. But, um, yeah, it, it's it's not like we, we signed up two West Coast cupcakes here that we, we can, you know, go in and at least get some easier competition. Like, we got the cream of the crop again out of the Pac-12 so, yes, we have to travel less to those schools, but we still are facing stiff competition, arguably stiffer than some of the middle, the pack, Big Ten schools. No doubt in my mind, right? O- Oregon is, a, is an upper tier like it, it, of the level of like Penn State and such in the Big Ten to me. Um, so, like, playing them every year is definitely going to have their things. It's going to be interesting to see how the Big Ten sets up the schedule now, right? Because if we have to play Oregon and Washington and USC, does that also mean then we have to also play Ohio State and Michigan in the same year? Because, like, that that's just L's on L's right there. Um, yeah, so. I don't know. I, I'm curious to see if we play the, the two West Coast schools, um, additional West Coast schools every year or not. Um, I know one of the big big talking points has been you know not having those schools come play in los angeles helps us recruit better against them right does that play out that way to where the us usc and ucla say hey we don't want to play them every year you know keep them out of our recruiting area to some degree i don't know like it is it is going to be an interesting realignment of the schedules now for for um adding these two schools in and and we've talked about this like are we are is the big 10 done adding schools yeah hard to say i mean no one's going to say anything officially right now but probably again the acc is on the verge of collapse right um i mean cal and stanford supposedly are talking with the acc right now i have no idea how that can work but i mean i guess they want to run an athletic department so they'll take whatever whatever it is they can get but from an again an academic um you know cultural fit standpoint cal and stanford i think very much do fit in the big 10 just with the types of of universities and such that sit there i think university presidents would like that um fox i think has zero interest in cal and stanford um they they would much rather wait for some bigger fish to come around than to add Cal and Stanford. And this well, is... Well, we've, ta- we, we've talked about this offline, but I, I think we, we have slightly different opinions on this, but I, I don't think neither Cal nor Stanford have the brand as a whole package with athletics included. Academics aside, you know, from a school perspective, yes. 100% agree. You throw in the whole round, fully rounded athletics package with that, and and as a brand, they don't, they don't move the needle for me. And yes, the Bay Area is a big, big metro area, but again, culturally, I think the Bay Area area out of even all the other West Coast Pac twelve schools probably de-emphasize college athletics the most out of out of most 
all the other Pac-12 schools, I think. They absolutely do. Like, so I, I live here, and, like, even people talk shit on L.A., but, I mean, it's th- this place is... Well, that's just a general... It's a generalization, general, but, right? Yeah. But this this place is something else, uh, when it, especially when it comes to college sports. Um, this is the reasons for Cal and Stanford in the Big Ten. Uh, it's the cultural fit, academic fit, and, like, why does that matter? It's just, you know, uh, for one, you know access to the universities um the big 10 has a huge research fund that they share amongst the universities that's a big thing um just general exposure to your school so you know if northwestern plays cal those are like-minded institutions which probably have like-minded students that would want to apply to one another so on and so forth so um you know just that kind of stuff is is there as a fit the other thing that's there as a fit again is this is the logistical part, right? So in the, right now on the West Coast, you got the power West Coast schools um, in Oregon, Washington, USC, and UCLA. And adding Cal and Stanford would be adding like the equivalents of your, you know, Rutgers and right. Indiana, right, uh, out West, so that you have some level of competitive balance across your conference. Um, and, and why that, if these people are smart, even Fox, if they're smart, why they should be thinking about that is, again, the long-term stability of the league. You need to keep the L.A. Sc- you've got the L.A. schools now. Like, at some level, they do have some power here. You've got to keep them happy. And if they're losing an additional two to three games every single year and their fans start screaming, like, if, if UCLA basketball, you know, we bring in some great teams and all of a sudden, you know, we're beaten up, we, we keep losing at Illinois and at, you know, some, all these big 10 teams that we otherwise never would have lost to, um, like that, that's going to be a problem and we're going to be upset while all while our, our non-revenue sports are flying all over the place. And that's just a pure money sink, right? It doesn't actually make any money. It's just a pure money sink. So just from a logistical standpoint, there are, there is, there's value in adding Cal and Stanford. From an athletic standpoint, like in terms of their competitive, like, posture and just the attractiveness of the games, you're right. There is zero value to it. Cal has has made their own bed, as far as I'm concerned, in terms of just the coaches they've kept. Their athletic department, their athletic director, is like under investigation for negligence, and he still has a job right now, despite everything that's happening in the landscape. Um, so I agree. They they've made their bed with this. But if you even, especially USC and UCLA, if they're smart, like they would push for this. Uh, and I don't know how much pull they have there, but I think they're like they want that. You need a free couple of wins every year in the way that the Big Ten has right now for the other schools. Yeah, the the other factor I know that has come out in some reports is that the Big Ten is interested in getting access to you know, Silicon Valley and tech firms and, and the branding and, and opportunities that come with, with that as well, um, you know, from an advertising perspective, but also just giving, you know, their students access to those types of things um, through exposure from, from athletics. So, yeah, we'll see. I I just... It you sucks, make because Cal it, fans are just, like, really... And, and whatever five of them that are there... Um, just well, the very... same could be said for Stanford. Even when they were winning big, you know, yeah. they had people show up to games, but like, did they really care that much? I never got the sense that a Stanford alum was really that much into a football game. They showed up, 
Um, the only thing per- person that was into or people, I guess, were into the game were the band uh, doing whatever stupid things that band does and the the dumb tree. Yeah. But everybody else in that that stadium, we've been to the Stanford games when UCLA played them when they were running all over us with Christian McCaffrey. They, uh, I mean, the atmosphere is boring, frankly, yeah. right? And that it's anecdotal, obviously, but I, I just, I don't think that interest is that deeply set in Stanford athletics. No, it's not. And Stanford is also just, I, I, I and Cal, Cal people would like balk at me if you heard this, but like Stanford is a private school, like on some level, they might say I don't like they don't want to be associated with just the direction that all this is going and if that's the case fine you know you don't want to be associated with it Cal I think I I do think it's a little bit of a different beast like it's a public school it's a renowned public institution there is value to having athletics like at a a place like Cal agreed right and 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 again the, the argument always you know even UCLA people have this argument where you know, usually the the reason the argument for athletics overall, besides the fact that you win and lose, is that like you know you you create more donation opportunities for your school, you increase the profile of your school, admission, so on and so forth, and what the likes tool. marketing and and the likes of UCLA will always tell you like well we're already the most applied to school in the country and we have nowhere even remotely close to a fundraising problem at the university level. The athletic department's like a blip on the university budget. Um, and Cal probably will tell you something similar. And to that, I would say, like, it's another thing where you don't know the value of that until it's gone. Um, and there are pro- like, you will see an impact on donations. You will see an impact on, you know, just overall application, stuff like that. If you're a public institution that doesn't have any form of athletics, um, like, there are there is value there. Um, and that's where... I'm kind of stunned that Cal has put themselves in this situation. But hey, oh well. I, I think you and I obviously understand that value. I think your average Cal alum who is not interested in sports does not understand that value. I think the Cal admin over the last decade has demonstrated they do not understand that value, nor have they taken advantage or tried to take advantage of that value. And I think a combination of those things has led to where Cal is today. Um, it's it, it really is unfortunate. You know, Cal Cal has you know plenty of history. They're an old school. They've been around for a while. They've fielded some good teams. You know, throughout the years in football and basketball. But I can't tell you the last time Cal basketball was any good. First of all, um, but Cal Brown. football. Were they good though? I wouldn't say they, they were very they, good. They lost in the first round by Cal standards. That's good, <laughs> right? Right, but they have history. Like you know, Pete Newell, I believe, has a winning record against John Wooden. Yeah. Um, back in the day, like there, there's they have some history there, and their football even. You don't need to look too far back to where they were good for a little bit with. Uh, Aaron Rodgers and Marshawn Lynch and Deshaun Jackson, like Javid Best. Javid Best was there in the early, yeah. Right, like they, they, you can see when they get decent, they have some good years. But 
I just I don't think as an athletic brand though, even as I say that they don't move the the needle very much. Like they are a blip on your casual college football fans radar, right? Like if I go talk to somebody who watches a lot of SEC or a lot of Big Ten, like no one's gonna be like, oh yeah, Cal football or no anything about Cal football, not only because they've been so bad forever, but there's just no brand around that. I could I could arguably go talk about UCLA football with people and they will at least know that we have a football team, we have a football program, that we exist. I don't know if you can say the same thing about Cal. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. And basketball is a completely even worse story, I mean, as we mentioned. Um, you never been to the basketball arena, have you? You know, I... I have not. It's been a gross negligence on my part. I heard I heard Haas kind of sucks. Kind of um, sucks. Yeah. Um, you know, like the math and science building at UCLA? It's yep. kind of like that. But just imagine like a basketball hoop <laughs> in the middle of it. it. That sounds depressing. Yeah. You should come out for a game this year, you know, since we probably won't ever have a reason to go to Cal ever again. Um, yeah, I need to do that. I need to do that. So, okay, so now UCLA has ensured its survival, and credit to UCLA for doing that. To me, it's not just about ensuring the survival. Um, There need to be some kind of plan to now be competitive in this league. Uh, Because, you know, the the money advantage that we have now is great, but everyone in in our league, Sands, Oregon, and Washington, is going to have that advantage. Um, They have the same amount of money. And Oregon, as we know, is going to fund NIL to hell and back with Phil Knight and, and company. So, you know, what 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 is the what is the way that UCLA can be competitive now in the Big Ten? We've we've ensured survival. Like now, what do we do? I mean, first, we, with that money advantage, we need to establish <laughs> that advantage as quickly as we can, either through. You know, with recruiting, with growing this this brand, with establishing our football program, really is where it starts, right? I'm not worried about basketball, but it all kind of starts and ends with football. What can we do to use that extra money that we will be bringing in to help expand the the reach and pull of that program is really where we need to go, especially since the other West Coast schools right now don't necessarily have the, at least in the Big Ten right now, Oregon and and UW don't have that extra money. Now, to your point, Oregon has the private money that they can lean on, but let's just put that aside for the time being. Um, We do have a distinct advantage. I I think that the NIL, (laughs) it all kind of comes back to that, but NIL is going to be huge in this. And I don't know how we can invest our we obviously can't invest the money directly into that for deals, but we need to invest some of that money into setting up that infrastructure in a more robust way. And that, I think that's where it answer. starts. That, so you hit it on the head. That's the answer right there. The athletic department at this point should be able to pull in. And, and look, if you want to spend the first year paying off your debts, um, you know, we'll probably have to make a, a one-time payment to Cal for reasons I can't explain, but you know, I don't. I, I. I don't think Cal's going to see a single penny from us. Yeah. See, I don't know. Like, I. I don't see UCLA being the school that says, you know, oh, I'm not going to do only because. 
UCLA and their sanctimonious administration might think that the, the state might take out their ire on them in other ways, um, which I still don't think they would. I, I honestly think people have already forgotten about this whole thing. That's what I mean. I I, I think that whole dog and pony show is, is largely behind us. It might get brought up once in a while in all of this, but I, I don't think it's going to... We're not going well, to... I'm sure you... I, do, I know you know this, but there is a Board of Regents meeting tomorrow morning uh, about the future of Cal Athletics. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I, I am looking forward to reading... Do you think the that the people in that room even know that about like because so the, the subject of the meeting is UC Berkeley Pac-12 conference membership? Do you think that people there know that there isn't a Pac-12 anymore? No. What's What's about to happen is the border or Cal is gonna or Cal is or has already I guess proposed you know some sort of merger or looking at merging with the ACC or or Mountain West whatever is going on that is also on the table by the way the Mountain Pacific conference could form with some of the Mountain West schools and leftover Pac-12 schools we'll see i i think that's what they're going to bring up and knowing the board of regents uh <laughs> they're going to say absolutely not we will block cal from doing that and try to keep you in the Pac-12 not realizing that there is no Pac-12, there's only four teams left, uh, thus burying Cal Athletics uh, at this point. Because I, I truly, I completely agree with you. I don't think these clowns know anything that is going on right now. Yeah. So <laughs> back to where we we're going with this, right? The first year, maybe we make a payment, maybe we don't, but probably we use it to consolidate our debts. But after that, the money that comes in should be able to sustain the athletic department, right? Like that by itself should be able to sustain the athletic department. You've got to be able to use donations. You've got to be able to set up the infrastructure so that the money, the rest of the money is finding its way to NIL and that you are arming the coaches and prepping them in a way that they can use that to go out and recruit and just use that advantage till the cows come home because you have that advantage now over all but like your Big Ten rivals and your SEC rivals. Um, aside from that pool right there, like any Big 12 school, you're going to have an advantage over them. Any West Coast school, you're going to have an advantage over them. You, UCLA has got to figure out a way to set that infrastructure up and do it fast. And that's what's kind of frustrating because you hear all the stuff right now about how the athletic department's discouraging NIL and all this stuff. And we don't know what's really the real story there, but that to me is what's got to happen really fast. No, I, I'm a hundred percent in agreement with you. I, the, the athletic department has done a very good job fundraising throughout a lot of this. I think they've, they've set up the infrastructure and give, you know, guys like Josh Rebholtz, some credit there. I know he has been instrumental in setting up those that donor network, something that UCLA really hadn't been doing until eight years ago, 10 years ago, when we really started uh, churning the wheels on that. Uh, so we have donations coming in, you know, up until the, even this year, they or I guess last year, they, they started a new program with this kind of 42 a program or club, some whatever they're calling it, you know, to get 
42 people to give uh, $500,000 or more in donations, if I understand correctly how it works, you know, kind of trying to bring these whales in, essentially, to give money. What I would like to see is, you know, fine, you've filled up your 42, but there are other people coming in, or if those whales are coming in saying, hey, we want to give money, you should direct them to, hey, here, here's men of Westwood. Put that money there. This will directly impact, positively impact the team's performances in terms of getting talent, in terms of doing, you know, uh, recruiting activities, all this stuff. Like that is where that money should start getting pushed. The, the athletic department should really be working in conjunction with men of Westwood. I know there's rules around they can't be facilitating that directly they can't be involved in it directly but they should be directing people at least at the bare minimum because i know you can do this because they advertise men of westwood at the games to donors to at least start pushing putting some money into the those funds there and i think that is the apparatus that they need to start really churning against because look our facilities are good we don't need to make heavy investments there we don't need to make heavy investments, um, you know, in in our stadiums or anything like that or training facilities, right? Like that's that's often where the that money needs to go. We don't need to do that. We're lucky that we fundraised in the last you know few years and we're able to get all of those things built. I know some of that money is going to go into travel. That's fine. Um, but we should, to your point, have enough money to operate a well-functioning athletic department at this point. And so donations are not going to be as key as they were in the last decade. And I think if we can drive some of the donation money to the NIL collectives and actually help set those NIL collectives to be successful um, rather than interfering with them, Again, unsure to your point if that is actually happening or not. Those are just unfounded rumors largely, but, you know, I wouldn't be shocked. Um, then I think we are, we have great balance at that point where we have money for the actual department. We can run um, a well-funded machine there, but also now the money is flowing into NIL properly and we can actually compete on the recruiting front in a world where players are expecting NIL deals and are looking for that specifically so they can um, factor that into their, their recruiting process. I think that is, that is going to be a huge competitive advantage because we can actually afford to do this now and afford it at the level of some of these big schools. Yeah. It's going to be interesting where, you know, UCLA fans are an interesting bunch, right? So, you know, at the moment, we just had a couple of you know decent seasons in football. Basketball is obviously it's thriving, um, and and hopefully it thrives for many many years to come. But in football, at some point, does some kind of reality set in that like, hey, um, we can no longer say that this is a money problem. It's definitely not a location and like recruiting problem like for the school. Like, at some point there has to be a reckoning of that. And, you know, that'll be interesting to see with UCLA, where, you know, if you go to the Big Ten and just start losing a bunch of games, 
does this get bad enough to where you know the athletic department has to seriously look at that and they're essentially forced to make a decision uh, on that kind of stuff because it's like there's really at this point no excuse no reason that ucla should not be able to field a competitive team i'm not talking about a national title contending team i'm not talking about you know a team that's going to go out and beat ohio state every year um but a solid competitive team in the big 10 there is absolutely no reason that shouldn't be able to happen now with the advantage that they'll have over the other west coast schools and just the amount of money that'll be flowing through and and what that money can mean for ucla in particular you know with the advantage of being in la and it's the geographic advantages that ucla has um you know they're really at this point over the next couple of years, that's going to come to a head. Where like, wow, there there really shouldn't be a reason this is happening. This feels like another uh, juncture for UCLA, right? And and we've talked about these moments in time over the last decade so many times when it comes to football or basketball, or but this feels like a whole department level juncture. And an opportunity, and really a golden opportunity, that if UCLA can seize it, we will see a lot of success, both in football, both in basketball, and and all of our other sports that we've historically been so successful at. If we do this properly, we can, we can, you know, the sky's the limit, right? The cynic in me... (laughs) Looking back at all of these other former decision points and former opportunities that UCLA has had, the cynic in me looks at this and says, God, I cannot even begin to imagine how UCLA is going to manage to fuck this up. Because it's all sitting there set up pretty for them to some degree. And it's all pretty clear what this, these steps can and should be to be successful. What are we going to do? How, what missteps are we going to take to where this, this thing falls apart? That is, that is unfortunately, unfortunately how I think about this because we've just ha- seen this story so many times where we fumble the ball at the, the 10 yard line and can't get it across. You know, there are obviously new factors here at play. Um, a lot of those junctures and those points happen under Dan Guerrero's tenure. Uh, we have new leadership, or I guess new in the the sense newer, not Dan Guerrero. Still, um, you know, does Martin Jarman have the tenacity and the foresight to be able to do that? I think he's shown enough, to me at least, to where I I can't doubt that he will try. I don't know if he will be able to execute and get it all the way across, but I I at least feel comfortable with the fact that I think he will go out on a limb and try to do something a little bit bolder uh, than I think previous tenures would. You know, I, I think he's demonstrated that with things like the Jordan deal, right? Something that Dan Guerrero w- would never have done. Um, this big time move out. is another example. I mean, this big no traditionalist would have done this. Absolutely. Big 10 move. I mean, even a bigger example, right? That is, he had the balls to go break out of the mold, get UCLA a big deal. 
get them into the Big Ten uh, to survive and really set us up for future success. Now, does he have the ability? That's one thing, right? Now, does he have the ability to actually operate as a big fish and operate within this new realm of reality? Remains yeah. to be seen, but... The, the, the ecosystem is changing, right? And and just the recruiting game, it, it already has changed, but it's going to continue to change and, and not change for the better, right? It's, there's going to be a lot more of what previously you would consider to be quote-unquote dirty recruitment are kind of just going to become the norm for the stuff. and Well, it's all legal. It's all above, it's all above, above board, the table, right? Yeah. yeah, so it's you can't say it's dirty at all, and it's just a matter of, you know, what's the attitude of UCLA towards all of this? And I don't even mean that, like, you need, you know, because Gene Block is retiring, right? So, like, well, the, so that's Yeah, huge. we'll get to that now, yeah. So Gene Block is retiring, and obviously, like, that higher in terms of like you know what it means for UCLA athletics is a huge thing and on like I would love for it to be like a football fan or something or a basketball fan that gets hired as chancellor um you know we're definitely hiring like an engineer who's never watched a game of football so so and even if that's the case I think that's fine um but if you get at the very least just delegate to a Martin Jarman type and empower them to essentially run the department as they see fit to make it the best department that it possibly could be to make ucla athletics and ucla football and basketball especially the best that it can be and if you just stay out of the way and don't you know give this attitude of we don't want to be seen with this and we don't want to be doing that and, and all that stuff that right there goes a long way and then it comes down to what you said which is like could can the athletic department execute with what it has then yeah this this gene block thing i think will be interesting um obviously i think a lot of ucla fans have been pretty critical of gene block in terms of athletics give gene block credit though where credit's due he's obviously helped the school as a whole uh really ascend from an academic level um he's he's helped the school grow in that sense so he's he's done his job on that front I think he's been largely apathetic towards athletics. I don't know if he, you can say he's actively tried to hinder anything. I think some people might accuse him of that, but I don't know if there's any strong evidence of that. We don't have the actually, evidence, right? Um, but but I will. I think you also have to give him some credit. Like he also did not get in the way of this Big Ten thing, where he could absolutely. have very easily said 100%. no. Yep, absolutely, one hundred percent. Especially when the regents and stuff got involved. It would have been really easy for a UCLA chancellor to say, I don't want to go piss people off. Um, this is bigger than... than, than <laughs> especially than especially being now, now knowing he was like a year, year and a half out from uh, from retirement or a couple of years out from retirement, right? He could have just rode that wave all the way till he, um, he is, pieces out next year. And, you know, no one would have said anything. It wouldn't have mattered to him Uh but he didn't, so give him credit there. Now, what do we what do we want in a next chancellor? I mean, to your point, it's either a guy who's really involved in athletics and supports it, or a guy who lets the experts operate it to the best of their abilities and not actively hinder it. What we don't want is a Cal type <laughs> situation you where you definitely right? don't want that. Who continues to employ it? I still can't believe that because you know, again, like. Cal's athletic director is under 
investigation right now because of the scandal that happened with some of their other sports. Um, and, like, you don't want to keep employing those kind of people. Um, well, it's not even that. It, that's obviously a, a big red flag. But I think it's the, the attitude of how some of these chancellors and, you know, what Gene Block, I think, has been accused of. But, I again, I don't know if I fully agree with that of, you know, how pitting kind of the academic side of the school against athletics, being largely dismissive of athletics, de-emphasizing it, you know, kind of shitting on it essentially as a nuisance, necessarily nuisance that, you know, the school has that they don't really care to foster or um, properly engage with. I think that's what we want to avoid. I think we've seen that at Cal. Like that is led to gross, gross mismanagement. Uh, I don't think UCLA will get to that point. I think UCLA as a whole, as an, as an institution, I think celebrates their athletics a lot more than even Cal has historically, right? And obviously we have the, the pedigree to do that, right? But um, you see it all over campus. Like there's the, the vestiges of the rich athletic tradition are, are everywhere, so I, I don't think we will squander it in that way. I don't think we'll get a, hopefully we don't get a, get leadership and a, and a new chancellor that will treat it that way. Um, but that is absolutely the direction we do not want to go here. Critical times ahead, crazy times ahead. But hey, uh, one more season of Pac-12 football kicking off in a few weeks here, so... And one more season of Pac-12 basketball, then a few months after that, a couple months after that. So yeah, I mean, it's right around the corner, and I know we've been we've been talking a while. And just real briefly, I think it sounds like Dante Moore is is primed to take over a QB. Seems like every report so far is is indicating that. I'm not gonna go into this frankly stupid drama around him being unhappy with NIL, which seems to be patently false at this point. Um, so let's not even go into that, but he seems to be the guy taking the keys from Garbers and, and Consley to be the, the guy. And, and I, I think it, that feels like the right move here. Yeah. And, and again, only his play on the field will, will determine it in the end, but all, all things considered, you didn't bring in a guy like Dante Moore to come sit in the stands so long as he's good enough to play. Um, and by all accounts right now, he's, he's doing much better. Again, the, the jump between spring and fall camp for a freshman is going to be much bigger than what it is for a multi-year player like Ethan Garbers. So we'll see. I mean, uh, maybe it's a situation where they name a starter by the end of camp. Maybe it's a situation where, you know, just so that they let it play out, um, you know, the first game, both quarterbacks play, and then, you know, the best one keeps going from there. Um, you know, we'll see how it all goes. See how it goes. Uh, on defense, though, we've got some good news. Ali Kehoe's back, so we'll see how that plays out. I think we've talked about how the front seven and all of that needs to um, be, be improved, and we have uh, a new coordinator kind of helping that. So, yeah, I think there's, there's a lot of things to be positive about with how f- the football camp is going so far, but we'll see how it goes. Um and then just switching gears real quick before we, we do sign off for the night. Um, basketball, 
we got it all across the finish line from a recruiting perspective, and it's pretty spectacular. Really spectacular. Um, I mean, Mick Cronin deserves so much credit for, you know, you talk about the opposite of Pac-12 leadership, right? Um, seeing change coming at you, being proactive about it, and then actioning it um, tirelessly to make sure you get to the right spot not just for the near term, but setting yourself up for the long term. Um, and that's, I think, what's happened with international recruiting right now, where we've set up this class. And a lot of the work here started last year in terms of getting, setting the groundwork and getting the pipeline going. You've landed this class, which by all accounts, if you look at you know NBA draft boards right now across various publications and such, um, this is the equivalent of like a number one or number two recruiting class um, just based on like where people are landing you know, on pro boards and that's usually what these recruiting rankings are based on um, but not just that you know it looks like this will be something that, that we've set this up to hopefully go into future years as well um, and you know, tremendous credit to Mick Ronan to pulling it off and you know is, is he going to be as good with younger players without experience that remains to be seen but in terms of actually getting the players and getting the talent into the into the squad um you know you can't you can't question that yeah i mean we've talked about this the there will be growing pains but i think the talent on the court is going to be at such a high level that i think we will we will see success uh by the time we, we roll around into late January and February and going into March. And I think that's the right time, hopefully, to start peaking. But I, I do, I do again, want to give credit to Cronin also for landing these guys. Um, again, Gian Vide is already on campus. Adai Mara has signed. Uh, Burke Buruk-Tenchel has also signed like this this is it's monumental i think it's underscoring how difficult this pivot has been probably from going from losing guys like stromer and and um you know marcus adams at the the buzzer essentially to pivoting late in the cycle recognizing really 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 high level talent nba level type of talent internationally and then going and getting them through admissions, through, you know, comp- competing recruiters at the last minute. There are reports of Kentucky trying to get involved with Mara, for instance. Like, all these these obstacles that popped up. Um, this this staff got it done. Ivo Simovic, who's, who's moved on to the Raptors, you know, huge credit to him. In fact, he tweeted out... I don't know if you saw this, like five check marks, which I think people took as, you know, once um, Burke signed as uh, as him referring to his his largely his recruiting class and the talent he he identified and helped bring in. So credit there. Yeah, it's it's exciting stuff. I think we're we're in a really, really exciting uh, juncture for this this program. And I'm I'm. I'm stoked for November and for how this team is going to gel. We can't wait to do the basketball preview show. A lot to come, though, in the coming weeks. We got fall camp wrapping up, and then we're going to be on to to football season before we can then do that show. Yes. Yeah, a little little premature for that. But, 
Yeah, uh, I think we we talked at you a lot. <laughs> There's a lot to cover. Um, but again, as always, follow us on X or Twitter or whatever it's called now. Uh, you know, please retweet and share our content um, if you enjoy it, and you can get get this podcast on all of the major outlets. You know, Apple, Spotify, etc. And um, yeah, until next time. Uh, We will catch you in a week or two and go Bruins. Go Bruins.